Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 49, verse 28. Genesis chapter 49. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 28. We're going to conclude our study in Genesis uh, this evening. A uh, considerable amount has happened between chapter 45 and the end of 49, where we'll look, uh, where we'll start tonight. Uh, of course, Joseph and his brothers are reunited. Uh, they invite uh, Jacob and the family to move to Egypt because of the uh, famine that's taking place and famine that will continue for another uh, several years. So in chapter 46, they move, lists there the various tribes and so forth, and uh, Jacob's reunion with his long-lost son, Joseph. Uh, they are reunited there in the land and uh, are brought in, introduced to Pharaoh. Chapter 47 uh, records that the famine only uh, got worse. And in fact, as people ran out of money to buy grain, they wound up selling themselves and their land, themselves into slavery and their land into Pharaoh's possession in order to buy grain to eat. Chapter 48 uh, records Jacob's blessing of uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, an interesting event uh, as Joseph brings his children for Jacob's blessing. And uh, Joseph places his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left on Manasseh. Well, Manasseh was the older. Ephraim was the second. And Manasseh should have received the right hand blessing. And Joseph protests, but Jacob says no. And if you're familiar with the later history of Egypt, you know that uh, Ephraim, was one of the dominant tribes, in fact, in the north. In fact, um, sometimes Israel would simply be referred to, especially in the prophets, by the name Ephraim, uh, which interestingly means uh, fruitful. Uh, but Ephraim, unfortunately, was one of the tribes that really uh, led the way in apostasy later on. Uh, so that's in chapter 48. And in chapter 49, Jacob is blessing his sons. Uh, he's reached the end of his life. And uh, interesting blessings given to each of them according to personality. Uh, but then we come to verse 28 and the summary and the conclusion of the book of Genesis. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. 
In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Misraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he confronted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this evening. And Father, as we read of your working in Joseph and through Joseph, we pray uh, for encouragement. We pray, Lord, to grow in our love for you, our worship of you through the hearing and study of your word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to this passage, rather lengthy uh, narrative. Uh, it, it basically divides into three parts. First of all, the part having to do with the death and burial of Jacob, which is uh, in its own right the, the close of an era and then the interaction that Joseph has with his brothers after his father's death, their father's death, 
And then Joseph's own death and burial, which is recorded and in, uh, in ends the book of Genesis. First of all, we want to look tonight at the death and burial of Jacob. This picks up with uh, chapter 49, verse 28, uh, after his blessing of them. Uh, Jacob is very careful to get his sons to make a promise to him that they would not bury him in Egypt. He would not bury him on foreign soil. And in fact, he, using the traditional idiom, says uh, in verse 29, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. And he's referring here, of course, to the cave that Abraham had purchased, the cave in which uh, Sarah was buried. And he describes it in verse 30 in some detail. to make it clear the one he's referring to, and to make, as the writer of Genesis indicates here, Moses indicates, to make it clear to us exactly what place he is talking about. There they buried Abraham and Sarah. Uh, We also learn here that's where Isaac and Rebekah had been buried. And it's also where Jacob had buried uh, Leah, uh, one of his wives, the field and the cave in it that were bought from the Hittites. And so after making clear that he was to be buried in the family burial ground, so to speak, he then, in verse 33, uh, says he dies. He drew up his feet into the bed. We don't know uh, if that was, if it's just literally he had sat up and pulled his feet back into the bed, or if that's maybe somewhat lost Hebrew idiom for death. Uh, We don't know, but at any rate, it does say he breathed his last. And uh, he, he was gathered to his people. And we record, it records here Joseph's uh, weeping, fell on his father, wept over him. Uh, and also instructed the, uh, the physicians of Egypt to embalm Jacob, his father. Uh, Jacob and Joseph are the only two Hebrews that we are aware of who experienced embalming. Uh, For the Egyptians, embalming was, of course, preparation for the afterlife. Uh, They generally believed that the preservation of the body was necessary for the continued existence of the soul in the afterlife. And they had uh, really perfected the technique. And during the time uh, that Joseph lived, uh, they could preserve bodies quite quite well, quite thoroughly, without getting too much into details. It consisted of removing organs from the body and placing them in special containers, their own jars. Uh, The body would be, uh, the skin and especially, would be uh, treated with uh, a mixture of resin and spices. In fact, uh, the the Hebrew term here where it says that he was embalmed uh, means uh, to treat with spices. Uh, and so they would treat that, and then they would also, of course, uh, wrap the body uh, in several layers of linen, all of this to preserve the body and then place it in, uh, in, the, in the coffin. Well, in Jacob's case with Joseph, uh, their motivation was not that of the Egyptians, the religious motivation of the Egyptians with, review, with the Egyptian view of the afterlife, but a very practical one actually, uh, and the same is true with Joseph, uh, that of preserving the body uh, for later removal uh, to return to the land of Canaan. In Joseph's case here, it took place right away. 
And so we read there that 40 days were required for the embalming. The Egyptians wept for him 70 days, which is a standard uh, period of mourning uh, noted in other texts uh, regarding ancient Egypt. Uh, that was a standard official uh, time for mourning. And so we read then of the burial in verse 4, Joseph spoke to household of Pharaoh, uh, requests that they ask Pharaoh to let him go bury his father uh, per his father's request. And in chapter 50, verse 6, Pharaoh answers, yes, go bury your father as he made you swear. And uh, so he does. We've seen the regard that Pharaoh has for Joseph. Uh, really, this was a very reasonable request. However, uh, it wasn't just Joseph and a few others heading back up to Canaan. This was a uh, a grand royal official uh, procession back to the land of Canaan. Uh, we read in verse 7 that the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, all the elders of the land of Egypt, we would think of these as officials, court officials and so forth, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, his father's household, only their children, flocks and herds were, were left behind. They went up with chariots, with horsemen and Verse 9 notes it was a very great company. And in fact, to prove that, verse 10, when it says they came to this threshing floor, uh, they lamented there with a great and grievous lamentation, made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw it, they observed astutely, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Uh, so it's noted you know, that this, this was quite an eye-catching, ear-catching event, uh, this grieving, this mourning. And the name of the place was uh, called Abel Misraim, uh, which means, uh, Abel means mourning. Misraim is the Hebrew word for Egypt, the mourning of the Egyptians, uh, giving it the place name beyond the Jordan. And so it notes that the sons were faithful to do for Jacob, the end of the life of one of the patriarchs, as they had requested. And he was buried uh, there with Abraham and Isaac. And then verse 14 notes, after this had taken place, they all returned uh, to Egypt. And so now Jacob is gone. Uh, Jacob, who had thought his son to be dead, or at least suspected his son was dead, if he had his doubts, at least knew he wasn't around for all those years, uh, Jacob is now dead. And something happens. Uh, with all of the joy of the reunion, with all of the reconciliation that takes place in chapter 45, uh, the middle of this chapter, chapter 50, uh, is an interesting picture because it, it describes the fear now that Joseph's brothers had about Joseph. Now, we saw last time that they were, they were reunited. Uh, there was joy. There was forgiveness. There was assurance uh, that God had sent Joseph. It was not the brothers. It was God three times. Joseph emphasizes this to them. And uh, they, they were reunited, they talked, uh, Joseph assures them. But now that Jacob is gone, uh, we have this, this passage, verses 15 through 21, with the fear and then the reassurance of Joseph's brothers. Uh, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. You wonder why they would have that kind of thought. It was Joseph just making nice to them for his father's sake. Obviously, when Joseph said, I am Joseph, the second thing he said is, is my father still alive? He was concerned about Jacob. 
They were worried he was concerned only about Jacob. And as soon as Jacob is off the scene, then Joseph is going to have his opportunity, apart from his father's knowledge, to uh, enact retribution against his brothers. Of course, knowing Joseph as we do, we could not imagine his doing such a thing after what we've seen him go through and the words that he's spoken. Perhaps his brothers are uh, projecting projecting their own temperament and personality onto Joseph, thinking that because maybe they would do such a thing, that Joseph would do such a thing. But we see Joseph's response. Verse 16, they, they make up, as far as we know, this is made up. There's no record Jacob ever said such a thing. Uh, it's, it's sort of pathetic, really. They sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died, which is rather manipulative, knowing Joseph's own grief over his father's loss. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. In other words, dad said, you have to forgive us what we did to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Uh, we can only imagine the various motivations behind his weeping. And 18 tells us his brothers also came and bowed down and offered themselves to Joseph as his servants. Um, kind of a move of appeasement. They, they really thought Joseph now was going to crack the whip and, uh, and get back at them for, for what has happened. But then we have Joseph's response, verses 19 through 21. Joseph said to them, do not fear, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? A lot of answers, that you, well the answer is no, but there are a lot of reasons for him to ask such a question. One, he's not the one who's sovereign. He's already said it's God who sent him to, to Egypt, not the brothers. You could also imagine that question coming from Joseph because as Paul would say in Romans 3, much later than Joseph, vengeance is mine. He's quoting there by the way Paul is. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when Joseph asks, am I in the place of God? He's, 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 he's asking that with reference to the sovereignty of God. You know, it's God who sent me here. How can I complain? How can I find fault with you when it's God who did it? Uh, also, am I in the place of God in the sense of am I the one to, to render retribution to you for what you did? You know, it's, it's God's place to sort that out. God will deal with you as he sees fit. So there's a lot of things that we could read into that question that lie behind that question. But then uh, Joseph's statement in verse 20, again, falling back on the sovereignty of God, as for you, you meant evil against me. And he acknowledges that right up front. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Uh, Joseph reminds them that yes, what they did was evil. They meant evil. They hated Joseph. And yet God worked even in their malice to accomplish his good purposes, including the saving of their own lives. As we said last time, God uses sin sinlessly. God is sovereign even over human sin. And Joseph acknowledges that. Joseph makes one of the strongest statements of that that you'll find in the scriptures. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It wasn't a plan B. You know, God took a bad situation and made something good out of it. He's describing the very action the brothers did. God meant it. God intended it, what you did, for evil. Is God the author of their sin? No. 
They sinned according to their hatred of Joseph and their desire to be rid of him. Uh, did God ultimately decree their sin? I would have to say yes, yet in not, not in such a way that God could be called the author the original source of their sin. God is not a sinner. He doesn't sin. He can't be blamed with sin. Uh, nevertheless, it was their malice, their choice to do what they did to Joseph, and yet God worked through that. It was his intended purpose to use that. As Joseph says, now from the vantage point of hindsight, looking back, to save many lives, to prepare not only Egypt but Canaan for this famine that was to come. So, verse 21, do not fear again. Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he probably is touching on a fear that they had about their children, what would happen to their children. And so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So we see the death and burial of Jacob, then the fear and reassurance of Joseph's brothers, and then last, the death of Joseph himself. Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, they stayed. Joseph, we presume, continued to serve in Pharaoh's household uh, as prime minister of Egypt. Said he lived 110 years, which is repeated, by the way. 110 was seen as an ideal life from an Egyptian point of view. Not too short, not too long. And uh, Joseph hit it right on the head. It's noted in the last verse again. Uh, he saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own uh, literally born, born on Joseph's knees, which means it's kind of a reference to adoption. They, they were seen as his. And uh, verse 24, Joseph preparing for his death. I'm about to die. We don't know if Joseph was ill. Uh, his brothers, older than he, uh, at least some of them are still alive, uh, would, would outlive him. Uh, but he says something very significant. Verse 24, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, which, by the way, is the first occurrence of that expression in the Bible, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so here he's, he's basically predicted the exodus, that God would come and visit them. No time frame, but that they would not stay in Egypt forever. Uh, and when they left... They were to take his bones with them. Uh, and so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Um, no description of his funeral, which is somewhat surprising, given the detail that, that we find for Jacob's funeral, uh, as, he's, uh, as he is, is buried. Uh, but there's no note of that, just a simple note of Joseph's death, uh, his being embalmed for burial and then his being put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, there's something foreboding about this last, the last verse, the last couple of verses, and I think it's significant that the last word in English here, as in Hebrew, in Genesis, the last word is in Egypt. Uh, in Hebrew, it's one word, Mitzrayim, um, in Egypt. And that really does sort of set the stage then for the book of Exodus, but Genesis concludes with the word Egypt. Uh, and Joseph uh, foretells the, the exodus, asks that they would bring his bones up. And as you read about it, they do. They collect the bones of Joseph and they take, take Joseph with them when they leave Egypt after all of the plagues and all of that. Well, having looked then a little bit of the history here, a few things I want to refer to just in conclusion, uh, not only to this passage, but to the book of Genesis. 
the, first, uh, the first thought in conclusion is that God works through the generations of his people. Uh, to appreciate the book of Genesis, you really do, and it's easy for us looking at it as a book, you really do have to take the big picture view that God is not in a hurry and that God works out his plans not just in one generation, but over many generations. You see that with Abraham, with the promise God made to him in a long time that he had to wait before the birth of his son and the temptation to, uh, to work out God's plan in other ways rather than waiting on the Lord. But you also see how God worked and sanctified over these generations of Abraham and over Isaac and over Jacob. All of them we see early on, uh, not perfect people, and they're not when they die either, but they all grow in grace. They all are sanctified over time as God works in them. And you really see that as we've been studying the life of Joseph. And so accordingly, it's right for us to take a big picture view. Uh, we pray for our children, and you should pray for your children and teach them and train them up. But do you pray for your grandchildren? Do you pray for your great-grandchildren? It's kind of hard to know how. It's hard even to know what kind of world they're going to live in. Uh, but we do want to take a long-range view because God takes a long-range view. Uh, another application that grows out of this passage, uh, as well as the life of Joseph generally, is that God really does rule over the events and actions of men. We don't live in a mechanistic universe. We don't live in a random universe. We live in a universe in which God is in control, a universe over which the Lord rules, ruling over even the sinful actions of people, maybe actions done against you, against me, uh, but he uses those things, too, to accomplish his purpose, to work out his will. And things that may seem painful at the time, things that we may not understand at the time, God can use so that in the future we may see at least part of the reason for God doing as he did. We may not in this lifetime see the reason for God doing what he did. Your children may see the reason God does what he does, even if we do not. And so we trust that God is good. We trust that what he does and what he allows and what he brings into our lives is good. Even as Joseph could say to his brothers, uh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Third, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Uh, even though they were in Egypt, both Jacob and Joseph wanted their bones, wanted their bodies taken back to Canaan. Why? Because God had promised that land to Abraham. And they believed uh, that was where the action was. That was what they believed, uh, where they believed they needed to be. That Egypt was just a detour along the way, but it was not their permanent residence. Uh, they were not to become permanent Goshenites in, in, in the land of Egypt. But as Joseph said, the day was coming when God would visit them and when he would bring them out of Egypt back up into Canaan. Uh, and so that's where they wanted to be. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. 
Joseph believed God kept his promises. Joseph knew Egypt was not where they were going to be forever. So did Jacob. And so we learn from Genesis and we learn from the story of Joseph that God keeps his promises. He may not do so on our timetable. He may not do so as soon as we would like him to do it. But God, in fact, will do every single thing that he has said he will do and not one word will drop to the ground unfulfilled. And then the last thing uh, that we would learn here from this passage particularly, although Jacob, although Joseph did not share the Egyptians' view of the afterlife, nevertheless, they no doubt believed that they would be with the Lord. They believed that God was the God of the living, not of the dead. And in fact, uh, we read in John chapter 5, Words that, of course, Jesus spoke many, many years later, but words that certainly apply to Jacob, would apply to Joseph as well, even as they were buried, even as they had died. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jacob's bones, Joseph's bones were placed into the ground, their souls residing with the Lord now in heaven. But the day is coming when Jesus will return, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all who have believed in the promise of God, as we know it in Christ Jesus now, will be raised to life. Uh, their promised land ultimately was not the tomb at Machpelah in Canaan, but the new heaven and the new earth. And as they have been buried, they will in Christ one day be raised to glory, along with all who have called on and believed in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the lives of Jacob and Joseph, how you show in Genesis their faults for sure, but you also show your grace in working in their lives, often through some very difficult and painful experiences. And yet, Lord, you are the sovereign Lord, the Lord of human pain, the Lord who is able to use even that which is very difficult to accomplish your good purposes. Father, we recognize even in the face of death itself that the grave does not have the last word. We thank you, O oh God, that we serve a 